podcast for the working cowboy well welcome back daylight burners i've got a got a really uh really interesting special guest today um sierra stoneberg holt she is from montana and she wrote a, a paper on the i guess the almost eradication of the the american bison herd uh in the late 1800s and she's got a whole different take on, on, on how, how the Buffalo kind of almost went extinct. And, uh, and it's a lot more natural causes than, uh, or, or unintended causes of, of removing, removing a predator from, from an ecosystem. And I, I really, I've, um, I read your, your piece a while, <clears throat> a while back, we've been playing, kind of kind of been playing email tag here here for a while trying to get get this set up but i was reading reading back through your paper last night so i could refresh myself a little bit but it's uh you make a very compelling case so anyway if uh if you would give a little info on uh, a little background on who you are and and why you wrote your paper and um and uh and then we'll get into your hypothesis. Well, hello. As as you said, I'm uh, Sierra Stoneberg Holt. Um, I'm up here in northeastern Montana, the flat, dry part of Montana, some, mm. as some people refer to it. And I'm on uh, a ranch that was established by my great grandparents and my great great grandmother. So I'm approximately fifth generation here in this area, which uh, gave me some advantages just in knowing the landscape uh, from what I've observed through my lifetime, plus family stories, which is Mm -hmm. very helpful. But I also have a doctorate in botany. I did my undergraduate work here at Montana State University in Montana, but then I went to the uh, Czech Republic to do my graduate work to get a little bit of a broader perspective there. So that's who I am. Um, And the ranch itself is 50 miles of gravel from any highway, any schools, anything like that. So when the kids were little, what we ended up doing, rather than uh, dragging them two hours into town and back for school, a total of four hours a day, is I would homeschool and then Mm -hmm. work on the ranch, which um, gave me not a lot of time, but a lot of uh, freedom to, to do some research. And so that's so how I managed to, uh, over many years, do some research into the bison question. Okay. That's, uh, 
very interesting. Uh, we we homeschool our kids as well, but I I lived up. Uh, oh, I guess it'd been been southeast of Big Sandy uh, for for a couple of months, and uh, that that kind of cured me of Montana uh, Montana ranch work. <laughs> I, they got I spent one winter, and that was that was plenty. It was, it was that uh, that Highline country is really really cold. It is. <clears throat> yeah. So I uh, I understand the. I know those those dirt fifty miles of dirt roads still going to take you two hours because it's uh, they're not good dirt roads they're just dirt <laughs> roads uh, and and a lot of a lot of Nevadas I'm I'm out in Nevada now and and a lot of it's like that but I'm I'm a little closer to civilization than than uh, than you are so I, I guess I've got that it's either, it's a gift and a curse it's all at the same time but uh, so. So that that part of the world that had been kind of like the like the summer grazing grounds for for the bison, and then been like the summer hunting grounds for for a lot of those those northern plains tribes as well. Uh yeah, I would think so. the the one of the things that I think is important to realize about the bison is that. As far as I can tell, most of the major disruption had happened before uh, there was any European uh, people to, to 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 see it and to record it. Mm-hmm. So what we have recorded is already a majorly disrupted ecosystem. I think that that's that that's the important thing that that I found in my research, and so. The problem is we re- we don't know mm-hmm. because by the time Lewis and Clark, as Europeans, there's a tendency to think of, of Lewis and Clark as, as the starting point. You know, they recorded mm-hmm. what had been here, but what they actually saw, as far as I can tell, it was a very disrupted ecosystem, a very new ecosystem, something that was, that was in the process of being formed. And mm-hmm. before that, there was something else, and I don't think we have a very solid idea of what it was. But yes, it's a excellent country up here, and the, one of the things with our ranch is Granddad set us uh, very nicely. With it's a very very small ranch, but our northern land is is fairly flat and open. And our southern, mm-hmm. just just south of the house, is getting into the Missouri River breaks, and it's got a lot of uh, uh, variation there. And so we don't actually hay or anything. We winter out. And so we've got uh, summer range and winter range. And from that, I would say that at least in our area, it would have been conceivable that the bison could have been there year round because they're even better at mm. uh, pawing through the through the snow than the cattle are, and the cattle are quite good. And like the deer and the antelope in our area will follow our cattle herd, expecting them to paw through the snow for them. And oh, okay. I assume that the bison did the same. I would I would imagine so. Um, <clears throat> I've not been around bison too much, but I. Like, yeah, Eastern Montana is excellent when the, especially with with moisture, the the 
that grass is really hardy and um, it's it's I mean it's been known forever as, as good cow country. But I I think I I I tend to believe you're right on on what you were saying like pre uh, Lewis and Clark. I think I I don't think the native uh, worldview was was what it had been. You know, say when the, when the Spaniards has come through. I think uh, you know estimates that I've heard. Um, was ninety percent of the the native population was wiped out by my smallpox and and other uh, disease to which they were naive to, and and that's we just we had our our pan you know global pandemic that supposedly killed about two million here in the United States, and I mean that but that's a like fraction of a percent of the con- country as opposed to. Nine out of every ten <clears throat> Indians are are just gone, and that's a that's a that's devastating them, I and that's worse than the plague across Europe. I think it was was it was a third of Europe got wiped out by the plague, or was it two thirds? I'm not I'm not sure in Europe, but I would agree. What I I have definitely also read where they were saying nine tenths, and I think that was the the upper boundary, but yeah. that happened repeatedly. So there were mm-hmm. plenty of places where they were losing nine tenths, and if they weren't losing nine tenths, they were probably losing at least three quarters. And it's something I've asked the kids to imagine. You know, our mm-hmm. little town here, where I've got now that they're a little older, they're going to high school and public school. It's roughly a hundred people, and so mm-hmm. I've I've asked them to imagine. Imagine there were only ten people left in town, which 10 would they be, you know, one of the third graders and, you know, one of the, one of the grandparents. And just to, just to think about how that would completely devastate a a small tight knit group like that. Mm -hmm. So in, in my area, the area that I'm familiar with, um, one of those epidemics went through the Blackfeet in, which were, I believe our our major group that was working here in mm-hmm. 1780, and that's about 25 years before Lewis and Clark came through, and we don't know how many of them died, but it was probably, you know, in in the vicinity of that nine tenths, and so, yeah, what Lewis and Clark saw was had had already been destroyed because. The Spaniards brought the smallpox and the other mm. diseases in in the south, but there were so many trading routes through this yeah. area. And so that was how our people way up here ended up getting getting it and getting that. It came in with the traders. Mm-hmm. There was yeah. a, a luxury trading route along the uh, Rocky Mountains. I believe it was on foot and that's where you would get, you know, your parrot feathers and, and, and the fancy stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the bulk trading route of course was on the river because that was the logical place to carry, you know, the dried bison meat and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so that was the Missouri river ran into the, to the Rockies, which led down to the Santa Fe trail. And, and yeah, there's like that. There It was, it was a small world even back then. It just it was a lot yeah. harder to get get anywhere. Yeah. And uh and I that makes sense uh to me when when you see the 
the reports of these massive uh, buffalo herds. I mean, just, you know, thousands upon thousands, if not a million uh, that that you hear from the the settlers and and the mountain men and the scouts uh, pushing west, and it's and and the story goes is that that we starved out the Indians, we we uh, we killed their their the buffalo herds to starve them out, which part is partially true. Uh, there there's no doubt there's there's plenty of evidence of particularly in like the Comanche area where they just they would drive the buffalo north or, or they just slaughter them on a, on a mass scale. But when you start actually penciling out the numbers and you're like, well, they didn't even, they really didn't even make a dent in the overall Buffalo population. And, and it's, it's very similar to the cattle population in Texas uh, during world war or during the civil war where the, the cattle population exploded because there was nobody calling the herd. There was no, there was very little of taking them to market. It was just these cow herds just ran wild for, for four years. And, and that, that was just four years. And, and it created a, a beef boom, uh, which, you know, what led, I'm, I'm in the middle of researching the history of the meatpacking industry right now. So this all is in together. Um, and, and, but if you imagine, say you had 30, 30 braves on foot before the the Spaniards uh you know pushing buffalo over over a cliff into a box canyon or whatever and and however however they hunted at the time and now they're down to three people trying to do that same job that's uh yeah. you can see how how the how those buffalo herds can can just multiply rapidly without you know where whereas before maybe they were killing 200 animals and now they're lucky to get one. I, I absolutely, I, I agree. Absolutely. And you're right with, uh, it is a, it's a nice parallel with the cattle herds after the civil war. Like you said, that's just four years. The bison had 25 years, roughly mm-hmm. at least in my area. And, um, I researched my area because I'm familiar with it. I know what to expect. I know what's normal now. Uh, so I so I was able to see when Lewis and Clark recorded things that were abnormal, and they did mm-hmm. in terms of damaged vegetation, damaged water cycles, things like that. And I'm just assuming that that happened in other areas at, at different time periods with with similar results. But with those 25 years, there's definitely the opportunity for the population explosion without predation. And as any range manager knows, it's not necessarily just about numbers. It's it's about the management and keeping the mm-hmm. herds moving properly. And so when you let that happen, when you let the management break down, either in the in the cattle after the civil war or in the bison and you stop controlling the numbers but you also stop controlling how they're moving then you cause so much damage that you stop being able to support the numbers you were able to support before so even mm-hmm. if you have an area that can let's say support you know 20 million bison and you have it supporting 20 million bison because you're managing them and uh, 
you know, keeping keeping the numbers where they need to be, you're keeping them uh, moving the way they need to be moving, then if you just all of a sudden, you know, 90% of you die and you're gone and you're not doing what needs to be done anymore, one, you'll get that immediate population explosion that always happens when you, mm -hmm. I think, when you take the predation away, you get the population explosion. But the re resulting damage means that you're not going to be able to support that 20 million anymore. You're only going to mm -hmm. be able to support a fraction of that. But you'll have even more. And it it, it just creates a spiral. And, and I'm, it's my belief that that was absolutely devastating to the bison. You know, they they lost on so many, so many levels. Yeah, they, well, they really did, and uh, it, it's it's funny how, like when when you you kind of map out the the series of events, you know, you had the the Spaniards introduce smallpox in in the south. You probably had the French and and the the English that that uh, they introduced smallpox in in the the northern part of the, the United States mm -hmm. and. I I don't remember what the estimates on the the populations of the natives, but it was a thriving population of people here in in the yeah. United States, and we 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 as in, in today's day and age, we we think you know you see the reservations and you see like you think of small pockets of of Indian populations, which is what it came down to. But there there was millions upon millions of uh, of natives living living in the in the U.S. and uh, I don't think necessarily living at harmony with nature at all times as the the old myth goes. I think there was a lot of a lot of warfare and and uh, and and there were just they're people like everybody else. But there there was a whole bunch of them here. And then when when we we finally get to the, like the the western expansion of the of the United States, there there really is only pockets of them left, and uh, and they're they're just a shell of of what they once were and. And then when when you get this this uptick in traffic of not just but cattle and uh, and all sorts of other animals, you get the the, the Texas fever tick that that moves. Uh, you know, you have whole laws wrote like Kansas said you Texas cattle aren't allowed here anymore, and they you know they had to they had to turn west and drive to, before they could drive cattle north because Kansas said well we don't we don't want any of your damn disease in here. Uh, and I don't, I'm not familiar as much with the anthrax deal in, in the Nebraska's, but the Texas fever thing, uh, was, was pretty devastating at the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Texas fever is really a, a problem. And the fascinating thing about it is that the idea that, well, it, like the smallpox, you're looking at about 80, 81% are going to be mm -hmm. killed. But those that survive, assume they're emaciated. So assuming that they don't just, you know, fall off a cliff or something, those that survive then have an immunity to the tick. And so they're able to carry the tick. They're able to stay healthy. They're able to raise uh, calves. And so then you have this herd of, of carriers. but if you get them away from the tick, and I don't remember the, the period of time, but they lose that immunity, 
And then the mm. process starts over again. And so that's why the Texas cattle that were coming up from the south where the tick is endemic. And I, and I haven't seen any evidence that it was, you know, somehow European or something. It's just endemic down south as far as mm-hmm. as far as I was able to find out. So they had contact with the tick and they would bring the tick with them and they would be immune. Anything that hadn't like uh, like Goodnight's cattle, which probably mm-hmm. brought the tick to the bison and wiped out the bison where Goodnight settled. And then his cattle lost their immunity as soon as the Texas cattle came up in, mm-hmm. you know, three years later or 10 years later, however long it was. Then they started wiping out his cattle. And yeah. so that I, I suspect possibly the Southern Railroad played a played a part in that because that would have fragmented the uh the, the where that where they were traveling and and mm. fragmented those herds so that in s- herds that potentially had been keeping contact with the tick and keeping an immunity would have been uh severed from the tick for a period of time and that's all it took to wipe them out and yeah. uh Kotsky found really good evidence that the northern herd it was a matter it was and it was i don't i want to say innocent um the blackfeet had been promised a shipment of cattle as part of the treaty and i don't mm-hmm. know how many times if you read the the history of that that they were not given things that they, yeah. they had been promised but in that particular case the the herd of cattle was delivered as promised and the suspicion is that somewhere in there was the tick and Mm. that got into the northern herd and that was the that was then the end of the northern herd when they disappeared in 1883 you know from from almost from one month to the next yeah that the herd just disappeared and it it really is kind of kind of a parallel situation with the like the smallpox and and uh I don't I forget what all the like scarlet fever and and whatever diseases that came over from Europe that that wiped out the the native population it's kind of the same the same effect that it had on on the the bison population with with anthrax and and the tick uh the the Texas fever tick and <clears throat> it's uh and then you compound that with uh with the the blizzard of was it uh 73 that that also you know took out a lot of a lot of big players in the cattle business and uh like it was, it was kind of a kind of a perfect storm of events if <laughs> when you look at it you know it's uh the it was just maybe maybe god was just mad at the bison at that that particular point in time you know <laughs> just like they they got hit from kind of every angle Absolutely. Absolutely. And well, what one of the one of the major theses in my paper and and the thing that I would say is truly original to me that I haven't seen uh, somewhere else is the idea that uh, that the original Americans were actual uh, livestock managers and were important there. And that just makes all kinds of sense to me because they they had you know over ten thousand years. That's a long period of time. That a modern human brain, um, 
they, you know, they, they weren't busy uh, playing on their computers or anything. So they had a lot of opportunity to observe, to try mm-hmm. things, to change if it wasn't working. And just seeing how much my family has managed to learn in just a hundred years on one plot of ground, learning how to how to manage the difference that a little bit of intelligent shift in management makes for the water cycle is unbelievable for the the soil health. It just Mm -hmm. is amazing to see. And so from my point of view, I see these people with this opportunity, you know, with 10,000 years to see what works, see what doesn't work. And the bison were so important to them. So they were always observing, thinking. And when you develop that level of human management and human interaction, right? If the bison had been alone for 10,000 years, it's completely conceivable to me that they would have uh, developed their own uh, reasonable way of, of behaving a good, stable ecosystem. Mm-hmm. But they didn't have to. They had the humans to depend on, the humans to keep them moving where they needed to move, the humans to, to cull the herds the way they needed to be culled. And so, to my mind, the bison were, you know, they, they were kind of helpless without, without mm-hmm. their people. Yeah, uh, uh, that makes that makes sense to me. I mean, <clears throat> going going back to the to the, you know Civil War era Texas, where all the all the fighting age men were back east. Usually, I mean, they were there was very very little fighting done in Texas uh, on the Civil War front. There was there was a lot of skirmishes between the Mexicans and the and the Comanche mostly, uh, but. By and large, all the men went back east and, and fought on the front lines. And they left the women to, to take care of the the herds. And more often than not, the herds didn't get taken care of. And it was, yeah, so whether it be somebody with a band of, you know, with, with 50 head of cattle just for their, for their own personal use, they'd maybe sell one or two here or there, but that where you're not culling that calf crop every year it's uh and they just they just suck they and they roam there there wasn't a lot of fences back then either so it was uh when you have a pretty intensive management system to no management at all that leads to yeah skyrocketing population but then all sorts of other problems that come along with it and uh and and it's part partially why the you'd think a a sliver of the, the Indian population was able to thrive because uh, with the new technology plus uh, an abundance of, of food supply. I mean, it's, it's not an easy food supply to get to, but now, now with the introduction of horses and we see particularly with the Comanche, how adept they were at raising, uh, raising horses as well. They were excellent horsemen, but they also, they were also uh, stewards of the horse too. They were they were very very similar to like the Mongolian the step. I mean, they were step people is is essentially what they were, and uh, and they they were very adept at at breeding and and animal husbandry as well. So um, to think that doesn't translate to to the bison herd as I think I think that's 
that doesn't make sense to me. You know, that it only makes sense that they would, like you said, they would, they would pick up on the nuances of, of the, the animal and the, and, and the ecosystem as a whole. They were, that's one, that's one thing that the, the native people have always been, you know, known as, is uh, being very good stewards of, of the, the ecosystem, whether it be slash and burn type farming or, uh, or, or the, you know, even, even the, uh, the nomadic type uh, tribes that, that followed the Buffalo and it's not, I don't think they followed them. I think they pushed a lot. Uh, I think they were, they were, they were not, not only were they hunters, but they were herdsmen as well. Yeah, I would, I would absolutely agree with that. I think you make excellent points. I really like the idea of the analogy of the Texas cattle herds, because that's, very similar to what happened on a smaller scale, shorter time frame, and mm-hmm. something that we've definitely seen, and we've seen exactly how that played out. So that makes an excellent analogy, an excellent example of what we're saying happened here. And I liked the way you pointed out that the original Americans then ended up with a situation where they've got a fraction of their numbers, they've got bison everywhere plus they've got new technologies that uh uh help help in hunting so yeah in that sense things were pretty good but when i think when i think about their management methods um honed over like i say 10,000 years but there was no written language it mm-hmm. was entirely dependent on trained individuals and oral transmission so when you think about this uh, this group that has ten thousand years of knowledge of how to manage this particular this this herd of bison in this area, it's, it's very place specific knowledge, and then you just wipe almost randomly ninety percent of them out. Uh, so much of that knowledge is going to be lost absolutely irretrievably. You know, not only do the Europeans who don't even show up for another 25 years, except for a few French fur trappers, have no idea what happened. The people themselves are going to lose an amazing amount just because of that. I I believe smallpox kills relatively quickly. So they, they didn't even really have a lot of time to prepare. Just suddenly everything was gone. Mm hmm. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, as far as diseases go, it was kind of a real blitzkrieg type situation where it just, it hit hard and it hit fast. And then, um, if you survived it, like you're good to go, but also, I mean, there's just people dead all around you and you're just like, oh, what the hell just happened? You know, it, yeah. it's, it's yeah. kind of how, and it's, uh, I, I've, I've pondered on this, uh, many a times cause I, I, I was, uh, I was a real nerd on uh, military history growing up. So I, I, when when my friends were doing Pokemon or whatever, I was reading like battlefield strategy of Civil War stuff. And um, I, I've uh, and I've, I've got a lot of a lot of buddies that that served in like special forces, and and I like listening to them because they're they're very as far as like big army versus, you know, like the, the special operations groups or small teams that, uh, but they're, 
they're very, very intelligent people and, and very adept at strategy and, and uh, tactical level stuff. And, and they, they've gleaned a lot of stuff from the natives over the years, particularly the, the scouting and, and like the one man or small, small team type uh, infiltrating behind. And the Europeans would have never, never succeeded in the, in the the new world if it hadn't been for a bunch of novel diseases uh there there was there's no way they could have uh they could have beat the native population on their own their own soil at full strength they even even with the the huge disadvantage in technology that that the native folks had um the sheer numbers and and ability to move within within their own ecosystem would have that it would have it would have been a bloodbath had they tried to conquer the Europeans tried to conquer the new world at you know burst of full strength native a population not not a chance and I absolutely agree with that I I think that's absolutely true I don't know if you've ever looked into Cahokia at all but that was an absolutely enormous city for the time period about um roughly a thousand years ago, I think, um, maybe about where Kansas city is now, if I remember. And, and the thing about cities is right. They have to import food. You just can't. Uh, and so I believe that they were importing tremendous amount of food from my, from my area, that that was one of the big things was that they would, because the, the, the groups in my area, you know, they were 60, 80 people, maybe 160, maybe not very mm-hmm. big. And uh, as far as we can tell, because so much of it's been destroyed, but historically they were killing about a thousand bison a year. Bison's mm. big. You don't need a thousand bison. Most of that was for export. And yeah, so when you had, had times been. like Cahokia on the river, they would harvest it. They would dry it so that it was going to be transportable and then Mm -hmm. they would you know send these enormous boatloads of food just like we do today you know on this same area we're still raising the calves and then shipping them out and feeding the east and that's what these people were doing here and i mean that's part of the reason why they were able to have in my mind such a successful ecosystem right because they had a that a very uh tightly managed um, and there was a lot of demand. Yeah. And, oh, they were also very shrewd, uh, in the trading department too, which may yeah. also makes sense. Um, Pemmican was like the original granola bar and, yeah. and it was, uh, you know, before there was, you know, canned, canned pork and, and salt, salt pork and whatnot, there was, there was Pemmican and jerky and they, they, they had found out through, thousands of years of, of trial and error to how to, I, I think they say pemmican's got somewhere around a, like a 15 year shelf life that it's, uh, the stuff lasts forever and it's, and it's very nutrient dense, calorie dense, uh, food. So it it's the perfect, it's the perfect food for a nomadic tribe. It really, it really is. If, uh, if you can't have the fresh food, uh, the fresh meat after, after a kill, then, yeah, you have pemmican, which is just dried, dried uh, bison and and fat, rendered fat, and and some fruit. But it's uh, for for a nomadic uh, culture, it's it's the perfect on the go food, and it lasts forever, and it's uh, it's portable. 
And it's also, like you say, it's ideal for supporting a city, a really large city in mm-hmm. uh, pre-refrigeration times. Because you can, like you say, you can fill a boat with it and mm-hmm. send it downstream. And I I assume they, they sort of boiled it up or something once they got it downtown, especially for the fancy people. But it would, you know, that way... 15 years your boat isn't going to take 15 years to get down to the city so it'll be fairly fresh and yeah yeah Yeah, that yeah it makes sense i uh i'll have to look into that that i've never heard of heard of that that uh particular city so i'm gonna have to i have to look into that but uh it's um but you see it throughout south america and mexico as well they had like huge uh, metropolis areas and i i think there was probably Maybe not as quite of a on a grand of a scale as the Mayans or the Incans, but uh, there was plenty of that throughout North America as well. And yeah. um, you're seeing seeing more of that uh, evidence of that come out with uh, there was that ancient apocalypse series on uh, on Netflix with uh, Graham Hancock and and Randall Carlson and 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 they've done some those guys uh, it, it's it's weird how they, they, they also get tied into the, like the, 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 the really trippy hippie mushroom psychedelic community as well. Cause they're big on the psychedelics, but they, they've done some really interesting work on um, like prehistoric historic uh, civilizations. And, and I, I think there's, there's a lot of evidence of that here in, in the Americas. And, um, and there's just a lot that we don't know because as you said there was there wasn't any written language it was all it was all oral traditions and um that that makes it that makes it hard to go back when you want, when you wipe out a, a civilization and they didn't write anything down it's it's hard to it's hard to glean a whole lot of facts from there I think that's really true I I I feel like if we had you know diaries or something from Cahokia mm-hmm. like we do from Rome that we would see that they were, you know, pretty much just like us. That the technology yeah, I... is really different. But at that time period, a thousand years ago, it was it was the modern human brain. I think we, mm-hmm. I think we, I think that's one of the the law, lack of written language is one of the reasons why we struggle to realize that the people here, you know, were like I say, just like us. They were wandering around looking at stuff thinking about stuff figuring things out developing things making inventions and so on and so much of that has been lost yeah uh, it really has um so when when did you write this this paper on the on the bison herd well the i uh Presented it at the National Grazing Lands Coalition in 2015. And then the Rangelands version, which is the one that anybody can get online or whatever if they want to read it, that came out in 2018. So it's been a while back. Um, and I did, I was, spent. I spent many years on it. I don't know when I first, gosh, um, it might have been around 2010 when I had that that first big epiphany when I 
looked at the Alan Savory pictures and realized that they were uh, what I'd been reading in the Lewis and Clark and that Alan Savory had was observing a 30-year the the riverbank after the humans had been removed for 30 years and that Lewis and Clark was there 25 years after the after the smallpox epidemic had wiped out the people that were there and when I suddenly said I think this is connected somehow yeah so yeah it 10 years now it doesn't seem like that long that's uh what was what was the initial reaction to uh from you know i guess scholars and and experts on the on you know on the bison and his, you know historians uh, what was i guess what was the the reaction from from like experts in the field i guess it did kind of vary uh a lot of the reactions were just really uh really, really wonderful to get, you know, people that I respected a lot that I I knew were very knowledgeable and had done a lot of work in the field saying, wow, this is amazing. This makes so much sense. This is the missing piece that makes it all fit together. And that was always really exciting to hear really nice. Um, I did get the occasional, uh, what are you talking about? We know that the that the hunters killed all the bison. Uh, what, why are you bringing up something else? And, and that was, that was disappointing to hear, uh, especially when, you know, I, I'd look at the numbers and I'd say, you know, there, there's no support for that position. <laughs> so I didn't know what to do with that, but. Well, yeah, when when you when you put the numbers uh into play cuz they they estimated somewhere like not not quite a million head taken out in a in a yearly uh hunt but you know once they they did the commercial hunting uh of, of the bison it was it was almost a million head as about 800,000 Um actually it was 1.2 million a 1. year 2. for 3 okay. years three years. Yeah. So, so. that th- that was that was Hornaday's estimates and his uh, Hornaday's estimates I think were were pretty good and probably if anything high side which is what we want. Mm-hmm. Because he went through right away, you know, 1880s and right, the high trade was was a trade so there were there were records and things and he just oh, yeah. wrote to all these people and got those records. Mhm. Yeah, because they're, uh, I mean that the hides that was, that was big business. Uh, it was that was that was really big business. So yeah, there that you would have, uh, yeah, very very detailed accounting of 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 all that. It's uh, yeah, it, I mean, the all the good businesses had very very detailed records. So it was uh, it, it would make sense. Even even the natives had had detailed records of uh of of certain certain uh ex you know trades and, and goods and whatnot is uh and so we're, we're talking 3.6 million in a three-year period when they're estimated the the buffalo herd to be about 95 million uh, uh 60 million is a more common yeah middle of the road estimate the bit largest one i've ever seen given is 88 million okay. but 
like you say, there's a lot of big numbers thrown out there and three million over the course of three years. Th- those bison had to have been having some calves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they uh because even when you when you hear the some of the exploits from those those buffalo hunters, I mean, that herd didn't move a whole lot while they were they they would just sit way out with the uh you know a sharps fifty and, and just pick them off from from range and so they that that was their ideal way so they could they could kill more that way they could uh, they mm-hmm. could shoot them all without stirring up the herd and and having to chase them down so <laughs> they were breeding that whole time as well and they uh and, and of course there was there were herds all over the place too so it was it, it the numbers just don't make sense when when you when you actually look at the the numbers uh, it doesn't make sense that that hunters wiped them out it 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 just it's a, it's a round a square peg in a round hole it doesn't it does not fit and i I absolutely agree with that. Um, I would say, well, well, the hunters, the hunters, I think on some level realized that they were taking a fraction of what they, what they saw there works when, when you're acting Mm -hmm. as a predator, but what the hunters assumed was that the bison were normal and the bison were healthy. And so Mm -hmm. my thesis is that the bison, because of their catastrophic lack, loss of management were not normal, were not healthy, the vegetation wasn't healthy, the water cycle wasn't healthy. And so a level of hunting that if that with a healthy herd would, you know, if anything benefit the herd because you need some level mm-hmm. of pred- predation was actually damaging it. But but most of the hunters didn't see it. Most of the hunters were not out there to wipe out the bison. There were clearly, they've left letters and things. There were people a lot of times with the military who very intentionally wanted to destroy the bison. It was a, it was a military yeah. decision to destroy the, destroy the original Americans. And clearly those people existed. They left written record. But I don't even mm-hmm. know that they actually went out and pulled the trigger very much. It was just it it was their great big plan. It was something that they wanted to see happen. But the actual bison hunters, they didn't want to see the bison disappear. You know, like the fellow that said, I was born in the bison trade. The bison are gone. I don't know what to do. They were devastated Mm -hmm. just like everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, it was. uh, And I think on a on a small tactical scale the the army had a big effect on on certain buffalo herds mm-hmm. uh like when when they're they're trying to you know when they're trying to corral Kiwana Parker you know there was there was a certain amount of buffalo that they they were relying on so you extinguish that herd and yeah. you know then Kiwana Parker has has no choice but to to give up and mm-hmm. but as as a whole yeah i i think i think you when when you see those accounts it's it's um it's a very zoomed in picture as opposed mm-hmm. to the 30,000 foot view and uh and and disease i mean disease is a is a huge thing for you know in the in any any uh living ecosystem but uh if you look at the civil war there was about 600,000 americans killed 
roughly two thirds of them uh, died from infection and disease, as opposed mm-hmm. to their from from actually their actual combat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, there was, I mean, enormous numbers of men that lost limbs just from a, like a simple flesh wound that got infected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the disease I, I think works the same way. Um, I wasn't able to find evidence and that doesn't mean that it's not accurate, but I wasn't able to find any good evidence that the diseases that killed the bison were de- were definitely new to the continent. I mean, in the case of the smallpox and the, the human diseases, that was the problem. They were new to the continent. The humans had absolutely no kind of defenses, and that's what wiped them out. But the the bison diseases in looking through, I couldn't find that they hadn't necessarily already lived with those for, you know, 5,000 years or whatever. So why did suddenly something that hadn't been causing any trouble cause near extinction? And again, just like with, with the predation, with the hunting, I think it was the combination of having lost the management and the fact that the herds were not healthy. They were not moving the way they were supposed to be moving. They were not doing whatever it was that we have no idea mm-hmm. what was that had been developed over 10,000 years. And so then, so they were susceptible to the diseases. They were susceptible to the hunting in a way that they should not have been. You know, they, they, there was all kinds of starvation just because the vegetation was so destroyed. And again, that shouldn't have happened. Our, when our vegetation is healthy, then our cattle are able to winter out there, you know, northeastern Montana all year long. They just they they go onto the winter range, which is is uh, that the topography is better than the summer range, and they dig through the snow and they get to the grass. But if the grass had all been destroyed during the summer, there wouldn't be anything there. And I think the bison were also running into that. They'd go to the places where there should be grass for them to dig through to, and it would be gone because because of the uh, like I say, because of the loss of management, the loss of the intelligent human interaction. Yeah, no, that that makes that makes sense. And, and there's all there's always like long long term effects that that people don't ever see. I mean, looking looking back at the COVID stuff, um, it turns out America is really fat and unhealthy. Like the the vast majority of that. Uh, of the COVID deaths were, were were either elderly or just obesity played a huge part into that. And then to to get into that, I'm, and they've been talking about the obesity epidemic forever. And a lot of it has to do with a sedentary lifestyle. And then the food food supply is also a huge uh, contributing factor. But sedentary lifestyle has uh, has has played a huge part of 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 the the obesity crisis and. And that's that's kind of if you if you if you look back to the, to the bison where before they had they had they were managed and, and you know and and grazed along a certain path and now say say they just stick up there in in uh, northern Montana where grass is good and they have a you know you have a, have a wet year with plenty of grass and then maybe they just don't migrate south and uh, and they get fat and lazy and happy there and then they're not they're not in fighting shape uh, when, when, uh, when a disease hits, you know, their, their, their immune system's not what it should be. 
and we could we could definitely see that sort of thing in our area when my great grandparents moved in here a hundred years ago there just there wasn't an off there wasn't much management when at the in the paper i say that the the people that were here that my great grandparents and stuff they were supplying predation to the herds but they weren't supplying management they were selling the calves and and eating and things but they weren't supplying a lot of management and we there was a lot of damage to the vegetation the the water cycle was really unhealthy um stuff that my mother saw and told us about growing up and then when my grandfather was running the ranch then gradually he brought more fencing more moving more you know intelligent management in and then we started uh my my folks and and myself in uh 2000 2004 5 somewhere in there and started very intensively and very intentionally making sure that everything was moving and that the grass was getting the proper rest and things like that. Mm -hmm. And the difference is just absolutely amazing. We've got grass coming in in areas that haven't had it since the thirties. We just believe that that those soils didn't support grass. Well, it's not true. It's coming in. We've got hillsides that I don't, I don't know how long they've been without grass. They've been kind of, we were under a, uh, an ancient inland sea in the Pleistocene and some of those areas, I don't think they ever got grass back, but they've got some grass moving in now, which is, is crazy when you think about it, the time periods and the water cycle has just been unreal. We've gone from uh, bare streams and flash floods to uh, this fairly dry area, but streams that will run for several months. That's an absolute, that's an absolute turnaround and it was just um it was it was from management in a fairly small area and paying attention to the grass and paying attention to the cattle and the cattle are healthier than they've ever been uh we've got the the herd was larger than it had been before and so when you think about you know they they had 10,000 years of, like you say, making sure that the bison are moving from here to there and that the grass is healthy. And, and you know, they very well may have been keeping track of, oh, this is good winter range, so we keep them out of here mm-hmm. using fire or spears or whatever it was they did uh, so mm-hmm. that when we bring them back in the winter, they'll have something to eat. And like I say, the bison conceivably could have worked something la- out like that over 10,000 years on their own, but they didn't have to. They had the yeah. people to depend on and the the brain of the human being is just so excellent for that kind of work. Why would you even try as a bison mm-hmm. when you had the people to do it for you and do it really, really well? It, it was a great <clears throat> partnership. And then all of a sudden, one of the partners was just gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a there's a tendency in in particularly on the environmental you know more on like the lefty environmental side is to completely discount humans as a part of the the ecosystem like they we i and i think it's more of an arrogance point of thing but like we're very much part of the ecosystem uh, and and 
a lot of times the most important part because we kind of have a managerial role of it. And, uh, and there's this, this big pie in the sky idea of going back to nature, but in that nature, there was still people there. There were still people around that, uh, like you said, that the Buffalo just didn't do their own thing. And then when, when they were kind of allowed to do their own thing, um, they got sick and, and, and died in, in pretty mass quantities. They, it's, it's a kind of a, a symbiotic relationship. Uh, like even if you want to view the human as a parasite, which we kind of are, but it's part of the system. It's part of the cycle. And, and we're, we, we play a huge part in that. And, and we just, we always get discounted as a negative uh, um, impact on, on an environment. But like, I, I don't know. Um, seems like we've done some pretty good stuff um as humans as well so it's uh there i think that's that has to be factored more into the discussion around around the you know the nature and the climate and the environment like you have to, you have to factor humans into it because we're not we're not really going anywhere Alan Savory really emphasizes and i like this how important the behavior is and he, of course, mm -hmm. was talking about Africa and, and the, the elephant herds and things. But the, that one, one section of uh, holistic management that, that kind of crystallized this whole idea for me, he was talking about that area where they decided to have a national park. And so they removed the people. And like you said, the people had been there since time immemorial you know, yeah. for a really, really long period of time. And they had been interacting with the animals, doing all of these different things, you know, beating drums, gardening, whatever, what they had worked out over that, you know, amazingly long time period. And the government removed them so that they could have their nice little park without, you know, people underfoot, as has happened so many times. And... The result was absolutely devastating for that ecosystem. Some, some mm -hmm. of the animals overpopulated. A lot of them just stopped moving in the way the people had been moving them in specific ways. And it destroyed the riverbanks and it destroyed the water cycle. It destroyed the, the vegetation. And as Savory pointed out, people weren't gone. There were still people there. But they were scientists and park rangers and tourists and they behaved entirely differently. And because they behaved mm -hmm. differently, the animals behaved differently. And it was that, that behavior. There was no, no change in what animals were there. And the elephants who had been behaving one way when they were interacting with the people, as soon as the people were removed, they started be behaving differently. And so in a lot of ways, I see that as what had happened to the bison, you had this specific group of people with these specific behaviors that were creating probably very beneficial behaviors in the bison because, you know, it had survived for 10,000 years. So the proof's kind of in the pudding there. And then you take them out, replace them with other people that behave very much differently because even the original Americans were behaving completely differently, right? There was a tenth as many. And mm -hmm. now they had the horse and now they had the rifle and, and that sort of thing. And even, even had they wanted to continue their 
behaviors from, you know, two, three thousand years ago. They just didn't they didn't have the same number of people. They had different technology Mm -hmm. and they didn't have a lot of the knowledge that had died in the epidemic. So it wasn't even possible for them to continue their behavior. And of course, the settlers, they behaved completely differently and they didn't care. They they were not interested at all in continuing Mm -hmm. those old behaviors. And as a result, all the animal behaviors changed and you could I think you could really see it on on the vegetation, the water cycle, everything that was dependent upon. And suddenly you have this extremely fragile system that people didn't even know was fragile. You know, Mm -hmm. you have all these explorers and all they see is that there's endless bison. Oh, wow. This is so rich. We've got bison all over. And they didn't bother to look at their feet and say, look at this soil, look at this vegetation, this looks bad. This is Mm -hmm. totally fragile. It was really unfortunate. It's, uh, it's funny how that, how things that look so stable can can be so fragile too. I mean, uh, you look at our supply chain. I mean, the COVID was a huge shock to everything. I mean, uh, that, that was, that was, I didn't think I'd ever see bare grocery shelves in, in the United States of America, but we did there for a while. And, um, and it's the, the, the crazy part is we had the food, mm-hmm. the food, the food existed. It was just supply chain. Um, yeah, it was a lot more fragile than we realized. And, uh, it, it's, it, it's kind of funny how like one, one little element can, can throw a wrench into the whole, the whole ecosystem. Absolutely. Yeah. I I would absolutely agree with that. And like you say, if there's anything that humans are guilty of, and it might be specifically uh, European abstraction humans, or maybe it's all humans is this Mm -hmm. tendency to assume that what I see today is stable and sturdy and it's going to be here tomorrow and next year and mm-hmm. yeah, it's not that was that was part of the thing. They saw bison all over and they said, Well, there's always gonna be bison all over. Yeah. Yeah, and then next thing you know, they're they're just almost almost gone. Right. Yeah, it's uh pretty wild. That um that whole period of time from the end of the Civil War to World War One is is one of the most fascinating periods of time in human history, yeah. uh, particularly, particularly in the Western U S and I'm, I'm endlessly fascinated by, by all of it. And it's, uh, my latest episode that I did on the, on my meat packing industry. I had to, had to explain why I'm going so slow on it because the, the more you read into stuff and the more you realize there's a whole bunch of other rabbit holes, you got to go, you got to go search because it's all, Everything was interconnected. The whether it was the labor, the labor unrest, the you know the the mop monopolies, and uh, but also just taking um, essentially a backwater swamp uh, in Chicago and turning it turning it into a like a major global power player uh, as far as an economic standpoint goes, and and that all that all was. Uh, interlaced with the beef boom of uh, of texas um the you know the eradication of the the native peoples the 
Um, the the railroads, you can't talk about the meatpacking industry if you if you don't talk about the railroads. You can't really talk about the Western United States without talking about the railroads, and it's uh, and it's all it all feeds into the to the downfall of the bison population as well. And uh, <clears throat> I, I think when you when you look back on it, it was kind of uh, I, I think your your hypothesis makes a lot of sense. It makes uh, the, with the the pandemic or the epidemics of uh, of disease wiping out a bunch, and then it really was just a perfect storm uh, of of events that that caused uh, it caused really the is the native the native peoples suffered tremendously. Don't get me wrong, but the the bison the bison was like the the true the true loser in that whole situation was the bison. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, their, their traditional grazing uh, path gets cut in half by a railroad that they, uh, they can't cross. And then <clears throat> their traditional managers are getting wiped out as well. And, uh, and then the new, the new uh, humans moving in have no interest in them whatsoever, really. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, it was uh, <laughs> the bison really lost out on that one. Yeah, I absolutely agree. They they it was it was really really very tragic for them. Yeah, it was. Um interesting. So are are you still are you still researching this particular area or uh or have you moved on to to other 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 topics? Um I haven't done a whole lot more with this recently. But I I did find a a book um, sort of sort of similar to uh, Hornaday, where quite a, early early on somebody went through and found as much information as they could. It's it's a very large book, so if if I got some extra time, I would like to go through that and uh, make some comparisons and see how it all fit in. I definitely just glancing through it, I did find uh somebody talking about how the hunters had wiped out all the bison along this one river and like to look at that some more because I wasn't seeing evidence that he'd seen that they were actually killed or that mm. he'd actually seen hunters. He just seen a lot of dead bison and assumed that was it was uh, hunters, and I'm thinking that area might have been uh, uh, a p- potential anthrax area, and anthrax especially mm. likes to spread in in water holes and things like that. So I was I was wondering if that wasn't another situation where somebody saw a herd of dead bison and attributed it to hunters, but I, I wasn't mm. sure. And so I was I was mm. thinking of going through that book with that that kind of uh viewpoint and seeing if I if there was more more evidence there or not. Hmm. It's uh it seems like the the buffalo hunter gets put in the same category as like Kit Carson, you know, where they're writing dime novels about how he was ten foot tall and mm-hmm. and bulletproof and drank drank the blood of his enemies when he was really about five foot four and uh very soft spoken and uh didn't particularly like to be around people a whole lot and mm-hmm. uh and was uh 
actually kind of embarrassed by the dime store novels that that were wrote about him. But uh, and I wonder, I wonder if that was. But I, I, I guess if you don't know anything about anthrax and uh, and diseases in 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 a huge room in an animal like that, um, it's just it's pretty easy just to chalk it up to to them damn buffalo hunters, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's there's accounts all throughout history of uh, claims being made with no evidence to support them at all. And uh, so, and, and that one where particularly where there's not people involved uh, on the receiving end, I mean the natives to a certain extent, but um, when when you're just talking about animals, like there's maybe uh, today, today's day and age would be a little different, but back then I don't, I don't think there was a whole lot of investigative journalists uh, looking to see what actually caused the the death of these, you know, of huge numbers of buffalo. I think it was, it was pretty just common practice to chalk it up to, to look at look, look at us humans what we've done, and uh, that, we played a part. But I think, um, well, you know, as a rancher, anybody who works in agriculture, um, Mother Nature is. Uh, she can be real petty at times, you know, and, 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 uh, they're, they're when, when, when she decides to do something, she's going to do it. And there's not much we can do to stop it. You can, you can prepare to prepare all you can to withstand it, but that's about all you can do. No, absolutely that's... true. We're, we're not as all powerful as we imagine we are. The world no. isn't as stable as we imagine. And we are not as all powerful as we imagine. I, I think that's, uh, that's a very wise statement. Um, this uh, this has been a really good discussion. I, I uh, it's a fascinating topic, and um, I've got a I've got to go to a mutton busting here in a little bit, so <laughs> we'll probably. But I, I'd love to have you back on. I know you're you're pretty busy, and you're you're uh, you live live out in the in the sticks, and I don't blame you. I'm uh, like I said I'm a little closer to society than than you are nowadays, but. Uh, that ha- that has its downfalls as well, but uh, I'd love to have you back on uh, and discuss this and and more more topics like it in the in the future. I, it's uh, you seem very well read and very very well researched, and um, I'd like to pick your brain some more. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Was it's been fun talking to you this morning, and I'd be happy to talk again sometime. I hope. You bet. Um, where. I I know I read your your paper, but I can't remember where where I found it at. Where where do they where do they find all of your stuff? Okay, it's a Society for Range Management uh, publication called Rangelands, and it's free online. Um, oh, the name of it's reinterpreting the 1882 bison population collapse. So if they can if they can find the Rangelands uh, website, they should be able to just download it and read it. PDF. Perfect. I'll uh I'll make sure and uh I'll find it and I'll I'll put a link in the description and the show notes all that. And uh yeah, Sierra, thank you so much for your time and uh I've, um it's been it's been a it's been fun talking to you. I really interesting topic. Thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun. You bet. Thanks everybody for tuning in and uh make sure you go read this this paper. I think you'll find it interesting. Um for for me and uh, Sierra Stoneberg Holt, move your ass. We're burning daylight.
up in the morning beneath the stars so bright. Pull your hat down, make sure your cinch is tight. Horses kind of snuffy, cold chill up your spine. We'll get your ass moving, sun will burn Tell the job's done right 